who we believe in the one God. God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Lord, Jesus Christ, the only, only Son, Son of God, God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through, through him, him all, all things, things were made. made, for us and our salvation, he came down from heaven. He was incarnated of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again. In accordance with the scripture. He, he ascended, ascended into, into heaven, heaven. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his, and his kingdom, kingdom will have, have no, no end. end. We believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for, for the, the forgiveness, forgiveness of our sins. sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Let me begin by addressing our current situation briefly. We are clearly in the long, hard portion of COVID-19. With the arrival of spring weather and some good news around us in regards to the virus, we are beginning to see glimpses of what our new life might be. And it's also true that the health danger is far from past. And in our county, we have not yet even hit the peak and begin to decline in the number of cases. Our governor did surprise us just a little bit this week with her announcement of looser restrictions. And as a church, we need to be very appreciative of her recognition of religious liberties in Iowa. We're grateful for that. This is a liberty, and we do cherish it. And at the same time, while we have the ability to meet now in larger groups, that's not a requirement. It's an optional thing, and we are treating it as such. Earlier this week, in the email that sent out on Tuesday mornings, I stated the plan for Marian Methodist. And the plan actually simply revolves around a scripture. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Honestly, in this time that has no precedent in our living, we will trust God to guide us. That's what we always do at Marian Methodist. We will seek to do things right, not rushed, with an eye towards growing your spiritual health while persistently being mindful of your physical needs. Secondly, we are establishing a reemergence task force that will help guide us toward our new way. For clarity, we plan to be physically away from each other until at least uh, around Memorial Day and maybe after and we'll not gather together until it's the loving, kind, and safe thing to do. And third, the church is being the church, which is something the pastor is very proud of. You've been caring for each other, reaching out and filling the food pantry with donations, giving blood to blood drives. You've reached out in other ways and concern uh, for the world, and you have generously contributed to the offerings to continue to bless the ministry of this church. So praise the Lord, and thank you very much. This winter, I sat with several of our 412 leaders, 
And we discussed that with prom and Mother's Day and graduation dates, that May 3rd, today, was the best day for them to lead worship. And we really looked forward to having them do that. Now, while so many things have changed in their lives, they've lost so many special activities. Honestly, it just makes me sad in my heart and weep because I look back at all the fun that so many of us had our second half of our senior year in high school. But they lost all those traditional activities. So I pledged at the beginning of this, they would not lose this. The opportunity to lead worship in their own church, the church they love, the church they serve, the church that they are being raised in spiritually. So this morning, with the help of a number of our graduating seniors, I present our next sermon in our series of sermons called Truth, Timeless or Trending. Since Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth, taught of God's love, performed miracles that defied the laws of nature, like walking on water, uh, changing water into wine, feeding 5,000 or more people with just a little bit of a lunchable, and many others that healed the bodies and spirits of those whom he was near, was crucified, entombed, and resurrected. Men and women have been in pursuit of Jesus. Most simply, we want to know, is, is Jesus a man or is Jesus God? The scriptures in 2,000 years of Christian history answer that question with a resounding yes. You might say, huh? Is Jesus God or is Jesus a man? The answer is yes. You see, the scriptures make clear that he is God. In Philippians chapter 2, you see this. Let the same mind be in you as that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, if you look at that scripture, you'll see there's a number of key phrases there. While Jesus was on earth, he did not exploit his equality with God, which means he was of equality with God. He was, as you'll hear from our students say, he is the same uh, substance and essence as God, but he did not exploit himself. Rather, he emptied himself of that. He poured out his real being, his godness, to become a man and was obedient to the redemption mission of the Trinitarian God, which was to bring us all back in union with them. Scripture also makes clear that Jesus is a man. In Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them in the inn. And in Mark chapter 1, 13, as you can see, it says, And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. Listen, humans, not gods, are born. Humans, not gods, are born in humble surroundings like those we find in Bethlehem. Humans, not gods, go through the process of growing and maturing. Our God is omniscient, which means he knows all things. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. He's omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. He didn't have to go through adolescence and young adulthood, off to college or university or anything like that. Humans are tempted and frustrated by our temptations. We all have been that. But temptation is not even on God's uh, radar. He doesn't even think about that. And Satan, pfft, doesn't even care about that. 
So let's take a look at what the book says, the scriptures. The Gospel of John looks deeply into the divinity of Christ. I'm going to ask Reese, one of our seniors, uh, to read our first passage. Good morning, Mary Methodist. My name is Reese Rowling. I'm a student of 412 here at Mary Methodist. And this morning's reading comes from John 10, verses 22 through 39. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law. I have said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Thank you, Reese, for reading that passage really well. Three of our other outstanding seniors studied that passage this week. And so I asked them now this question. Why does Jesus not blatantly say he is God? Hi, my name is Caitlin Bean. And on any given Sunday morning, you can find me serving in the nursery, our Sunday school, and our children's ministry. Well, Pastor Mike, to answer your question, Jesus does not blatantly say he is God because God wants us to know who he is as the Father and the works that Jesus performed while he was on earth. We can only get to God through Jesus. Also, in John 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify me. The works that Jesus performed while he was on earth, apart from God, are testified in God's name. When Jesus and God are not together, they are still the same. Jesus is a part of God, just as God is a part of Jesus. Jesus and God together, need to have, you need to have the same faith in them. Going down to 28, it says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. This is a really important verse to hold on to. This is saying that nothing and no one can take away the gift that God has given to us. That gift is Jesus. When God came down to earth as Jesus, he gave us the opportunity to have eternal life through the blood and love of Jesus. Hi, my name is Grace Caboco. I'm a member of the 412 leadership team. I'm a member of the 412 band, and I also am a worship intern on Sundays. On Sunday mornings, you'll usually find me sitting right here in this pew with all of the members of 412 as well. 
How many times do you really associate Jesus with the Father? Do you do it often? I find myself forgetting that Jesus and the Father are one. It's not Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How can we claim to know the Father, but not know who the Father is within all three beings? It's not just three beings, it's one being. We see God as the gift giver, but we don't know who the giver is. In verse 13 and 14, it says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may be, bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. We see this as a gift list. We see it as a, a wish list from God, but we don't know who the giver is. If we truly knew the giver, and we knew that the Father and the Son are one, we know that the things that we ask have to glorify God and his plan for us, not just what we want from him. Good morning, Mary Methodist. My name is Mario Crisp, and on Sunday morning, you'll either find me in the front row worshiping with all of my friends when I'm on time, or you'll find me in the back uh, by myself when I show up to the 1020 service. So what would we do if, if someone went around calling themselves the Messiah? See, verse 33 says, we are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. See, it's easy for us to point at the Jews and say, hey, how could you guys be so dumb thinking that he really isn't the Messiah? See, the difference between them and us is that we already know the Messiah. We read about him in this book daily. See, they don't know the true Messiah yet, and they care so much about the Messiah that they are willing to stone anyone that calls themselves the Messiah. These are great answers. For over 2,000 years, the church has pursued the very same question. In many ways, like those our students shared, Jesus does in the scriptures say, He is God, without saying, I am God. To clarify and to make sure that truth was spoken frequently in Christian worship, our ancestors wrote statements of faith that we call creeds that clearly put the beliefs the non-negotiables of Christianity in just a few lines. One of them is called the Nicene Creed. We said it earlier in worship this morning. It's the oldest of the statements that was crafted in what we might call holy conferencing that lasted several months in the year 325 A.D. This creed came about to establish belief in co-equal persons of the Trinity. That is to say that Christians believe that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are as much God as is the creating Father. Without that belief, your faith cannot be called Christian. The creed has what we would call a strong Christology, which means a statement of who Jesus is. The creed echoes our biblical tradition, making clear that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. Regarding Jesus, the creed states that he is true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are of the same essence. They are not of similar essences. They have exactly the same composition. Regarding Jesus, the creed also states he became incarnate, which means in flesh and blood, incarnate from the Virgin Mary, and was made man. 
because the Father and the Son are of one substance, we can be assured that if we know Jesus, we know God. I've asked Michael Beardser to read a second passage from John that expresses this clearly. Take a listen to Michael. Hello, I am reading John chapter 14, 6 to 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that we will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will be will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Thank you, Michael. Now let me turn back to my three co-preachers for the morning and simply ask them, after studying this scripture, who is Jesus? How is Jesus more than just a man? See, he is the gateway to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. See, Jesus is so much more. He states that he is the way. If you follow him, he is the way to the Father. He is the only way to eternal life. He is the truth. He is the most pure, and he has no sense of falsehood in him. He is the life. He came so that we could have life. And I'm not talking about just the drop of water that we call human life. I'm talking about the ocean that is eternal life. And the only way to get that eternal life is through Jesus. Verse 7 says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do, you do know him and you have seen him. See, Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. He states that if you know him, you know the Father as well. That shows the oneness that Jesus has with God. And that is why he is so much more. Who is Jesus? Looking at John 14, verses 11 and 12, it reads, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. In verse 11, it says that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him. So Jesus is the Father. Jesus is God. That is, blank. That is easily saying that he is God. I don't think we need to have Jesus say in scripture, I am God. Because as we see in this entire passage, he references that he is God. So Jesus is God and God is Jesus. Whether he is on earth or in heaven, they are the same. Looking to verse 12, it says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. 
and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, I'm not asking you to go and, you know, heal someone from the dead or make someone heal someone of blindness, but we are called to be servants. We are called to be workers. If we're not workers, are we truly believers? Jesus is going to the Father, so we are called to take in that step of serving and working and doing the work that God has called us to do. In verses 6 and 7, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. How many times do you really associate Jesus with the Father? I find myself forgetting that it's not just God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as one being, not three separate. How can we claim to know one if we don't know all three? They are all one. Just like he says in 13 and 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. How can we ask for things from God when we don't know who he is, who his Son is, and the fact that they are all together as one being? We forget that the giver of life, the giver of truth, and the giver of the way is not just Jesus. It's God as well, because they are one being. If we claim to know Jesus and we claim to know God, but we don't know that Jesus and God are one being, not two separate, what are we doing? Who are we trusting in? Who are we believing? Jesus isn't just similar to God. He doesn't have similar attributes. They don't have similar qualities. They are the same. They are one in the same. Trust in one is trust in all. Trusting in God is trusting in Jesus' plan. So through this time of hardships and uncertainties, we must trust that Jesus' plan, knowing Jesus and knowing God, is knowing the trust. Trusting in God is trusting in the way, the truth, and the life, and that is Jesus Christ. So that is the word of God interpreted for you this morning with confidence we can say Jesus is God, not that Jesus is similar to God. We can be sure that when Jesus speaks, the voice we hear in our ears or in our spirit or in our heart is the very voice of God. And when Jesus forgives our sins, we know that God has fully and completely forgiven us and forgotten what we've done wrong. And when Jesus offers us the gift of eternal life, that offer is from the God of all things. God has shown himself to us in Jesus Christ. This is a believable and non-negotiable, thoroughly exciting and wonderfully freeing tenet of the Christian faith. So praise the Lord Jesus Christ. For a God who doesn't hide. For a God who exposes himself in scriptures and shows us clearly who he is and invites us to be part of his continuing story, we are grateful and thankful, and with joy we offer our offerings, our gifts, and our tithes.